Welcome to season two of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Antonio Capasso, alongside fellow co-host Brad Fullerton. Both Brad and I are practicing trainee sport and exercise psychologists and use our experience and knowledge to bring sports psychology and wellbeing concepts to life. But we don't do this alone. We speak to highly specialised guests who also share their personal and professional experiences with wellbeing and sports psychology. On the pod, we encourage listeners interested in all things sport to tune in whilst we provide insight into what working in the world of sport is like. We ask our guests the right questions to provide you with a deep dive into their specialised area of expertise and hope that after listening to each episode, you have taken something away with you. We want to redefine what making it in sport looks like. We hope that by speaking to guests who have made a successful career in sport, we can do just that. Now, let's get into another episode of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hello everyone and uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, I know it's a bit exciting, I'm finally uh, leading the discussion for today's episode. It's been a little while, I've, I've let uh, Brad take the wheel for the last few episodes but I'm, I'm back now. Um, Brad, how are you getting on mate? Yeah, yeah, good. Glad that you're uh, deciding to step up and host. It's, it's <laughs> been a while but uh, now nah, just busy with the programme mate, as you know. We're sort of launching this week or we have been over the past few so it's been busy trying to get everything up and running but as we're recording now, we've got a big launch night tonight, so I'll be through there to meet some players and parents and coaches and looking forward to the to the season ahead. Yeah, 100% for our listeners. I think we're, we're now getting back on board, starting our season two of the Young Player Wellbeing Academy, so we're going to start chatting with our with our players again and hopefully getting some new players on board um, for what should be another great season. And uh, any new players, if this is your first episode listening in, then uh, welcome to the programme and can't wait to get to know over the, the next the next year. Um, but as has been the theme uh, throughout all of season two, we've got another really amazing guest on the episode, someone who I've actually been uh, nagging for probably like the last year on uh, career advice and then also to try and get him to come on to the to the show because I think he's got amazing experience and, and, and has offered me really good insi- insights in the past. Um, so we're joined today by a performance, uh, performance psychologist at uh, WSL Academy, uh, Thomas Gardner. Tom, how are you getting on, mate? Yeah, all good, thanks, lads. Uh, you didn't have to do too much nagging. It worked, it worked, it was sound, to be fair. Quite looking forward to getting going and coming on. So, yeah, all good. Perfect. Yeah, so I think I always felt a bit guilty over the years, but I knew you were so busy, and I was messaging you, being like, "Tom, can you can you give me advice into how I can do this and how I can do that?" So I always appreciated it. But um, what we'll do, Tom, is just like we do with all our guests, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about your experiences in sport. Um, you know, growing up, what was your main sport? What level did you get to? And just give us a feel for sort of your your background, I guess. Yeah. So my background is football. So. I was a bang average player, I'd probably say at best, who thought he was significantly better than what he actually was. So I'd say that's probably a fair reflection. Uh, county football is probably the best the best level that, that I got to, which is OK, but nothing special. I wasn't in and around the academies or, or anything like that. I was more towards the fringes of, of those sort of things where seeing friends get picked for those academies and me not being so. 
even though I thought I may have had the potential to do it, that that never come to fruition at any point. I always blame it on the fact that I was tiny, but I think it could be the fact that I just wasn't particularly good enough to be at that level. I always have the excuse if I was five foot one when I was 15 or 16, something like that. So didn't do me any favours, but I also don't think I was technically good enough to ever make it at that level either. Um, but then decided at around 16, 17 that I was going to go to university because I didn't know what, what else to do. I wanted to do something to do with football, whether that be coaching, whether that be still thinking I could play, like getting myself into a, a team at university and maybe playing from there and potentially making a little bit of money on a Saturday was sort of the plan that that, that I had to begin with. Um, but again, that that didn't come to fruition. I didn't even play football whilst I was at uni. Um, I studied science and football undergraduate at, at John Moores. And for the first year, I was just a bit take it or leave it. I was interested about the football part, but probably not the science part. There was a, there was a lot of elements of that that were brand new to me in terms of like analysis and nutrition and periodization and sports science and those sort of things. And I thought they were okay. I, I didn't dislike them, but none of them really caught my interest. And I think after, after the first year of, of the undergraduate degree, I wrote an email to my supervisor or or my um my tutor at that point, telling them that I was going to drop out. That I just I didn't didn't really want to do it. Um, and he basically replied saying, "You can't. You, you've you've come you've come into a year now, so there's no point dropping out. You may as well just crack on." So I then just turned up for the second year in a sort of a huff about still being there from from the first year. And if it just got so much better in the second year, we had a, a lecture on sports psychology that was delivered by Dr. Martin Esty. And for the previous year and a bit, I'd been at all lectures. My attendance was good, all, all those sort of things, but it had never really captured my interest. And then in this one lecture by Dr. Martin Esty, he just had like three slides and spoke for about two and a half hours just about his applied experiences as a psychologist in like Premier League football. And I was just hooked, mate. Like I, if I was hanging off every single word that that he said, like thinking this is so interesting. I found myself going to the library straight afterwards, going his reference this book. Where's that? I don't think I think I'd been in the library twice the year before. And my first instinct after that lecture was get in the library and get these books because that's so interesting. I think part of the reason I found it interesting is because it really resonated with some of the experience that I'd had when playing football. I would do things when I was younger, like. Oh, my, my foot's really sore in a big game and if my first five or six passes have gone wrong then next thing you know I'm, I'm being hooked and I, I'm quite happy about that um, and those those sort of experiences and actually understanding that there were psychological elements behind some of the things that I had done was was really important for me I just thought I was a bit bit nervy and, and a bit scared that's just what, what I put it down to and then not being the level to compete at that level but then hearing someone talk about the psychology of football and the way it affected the professional athletes I thought well, that that happened to me and this 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 is now extremely interesting. And then it just rolled on from there. I've become absolutely hooked on it from second year, third year, done my undergraduate dissertation on psychological elements of football. I then studied a master's in sports psychology at John Moores. And then I've completed the the basis supervised experience pathway as well. So I'm now a basis accredited sport and exercise scientist with specialising in performance psychology. So across those number of years I've gained a significant amount of experience in those particular fields and it's one that I really enjoy being a part of yeah amazing I think I can definitely relate to that like being at uni sort of being like oh I don't really like nothing's really catched my attention like I I did psychology with 
sport but it was sort of doing psychology modules and then doing sports science modules and it wasn't until my second year where I had like sports psychology I'd gone in with the intention of doing sports psychology but I thought I'd actually be doing more modules in it and it wasn't until my second year I did my first module and I was the same I was absolutely hooked and what was the name of that lecturer again uh so it's Dr Mark Nesty Dr Mark Nesty well if he's ever if he's listening uh and he wants to come on to the show then definitely come on it sounds like it sounds like he's uh he's very interesting and makes psychology really interesting for everyone listening or, or watching so fantastic that and uh yeah brilliant Brad you got anything you want to add in before I move on though yeah, I just think it's interesting how there's always a moment that as a player that you and and now like a sports scientist or sports psychologist that you look back on that was like that was the reason that I became interested in psychology. So for me it was I missed a penalty when I was like I was talking like fourteen possibly. And I was always like, Why can I not like take penalties now? Like it's such a simple thing. And it's actually something that I still wouldn't do. Like I'd avoid a penalty at all costs as well. And I like the idea of like some people going to uni with a plan. Like I'm doing this, like because I want to be this. I was the same as you, Tom. I was like, I like sport. That's that moment of the penalty was interesting to me. I'll go and do sport and psychology. Like there was never a point where I was, I was like, I'm going to be a sports psychologist throughout my undergrad. It was only probably towards the the end of that. But I think that's okay as well. And in terms of for me and also you, Tom, it's been lucky that the thing that we pursued is something that we were interested in. In some some cases, it's not. So I just feel like privileged to be able to work in or and make a career out of it. And for me, that's success. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And. It's interesting as well, Tom. You, you mentioned you got to the sort of county level in football, and obviously you're playing quite regularly and playing fairly competitively. Um, could you tell us what your experiences were like uh, when it came to well-being or or psychology or sports psychology support uh, as a player growing up? Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. So my main sport was obviously football. Did that constantly. School teams, Sunday teams, Saturday teams, everything like that. And then I also had Irish grandparents, so I played Gaelic as well. Um, I never saw any form of Gaelic's not a professional sport at, at, at the top level and I never saw any form of like career progression so I never ever felt nervous playing Gaelic I just played purely for fun and I was okay I was sound I was I was played at a sound level with my friends and, and that sort of stuff whereas football was the complete opposite it was nerves before a game it was if it was if I'd started poorly that was it that was me finished there was there was no point in me playing the rest of the game I would I put so much pressure on come on, you need to make this a career, you need to be a pro, that whilst actually being nowhere near even the academy level, that that it made it unenjoyable for a large period of time. So I'd played football from under sevens through to like under 14s and then under 15s and 16s, I stopped altogether because they're, they're just fun, had, had just completely gone. It was just so unenjoyable. It was nerve wracking. I, I started to hate the sport that, that I completely loved. And then I dropped down like five or six leagues and went and played again in like under 18s and under 17, sorry. And then uh, our friends started like an open age team, which you could start when you were 17. And I played then and all all the fun just come back because you you weren't, you were no longer playing for career progression. You were playing to have a laugh with with your friends. And that that sort of, that that was my, my footballing journey. But yeah, in terms of psychology support, I didn't know what it was. Didn't know that it existed. So mm-hmm. I, I would, I would say, absolutely none. And that's that's not the fault of anyone around me. It's just at the level that I was playing at, you didn't get access to the, these sort of things. 
and you can't have access to something that you when you don't know what it is. So I also couldn't ask for, for this this support because I didn't know what I needed support with. I just presumed I was nervous and scared to do certain things when playing football. And that was that. That was just my personality. And I had to get on with it, basically. That's that's kind of the the the, the journey that, that I took with it. Yeah, it's really interesting. And um, I was just thinking there, like in your position now, do you see players that you can that you relate to and you know going through the academy? Do you look and you sort of think I was going. I've I've experienced something similar to that. Uh, you know, when you were fifteen, sixteen, and and you know, does that almost give you the e- extra motivation to try and get them that support? I think it's it's it has made it slightly. I wouldn't say easier, but I think it's made it more relatable for for me that that players potentially at some points in conversation, it's worth players knowing that I may have experienced something that they're experiencing. But I also don't think I can base all of my conversations going, I know that this will work because this happened to me. Because I, d- I don't think that's fair either, because I think everyone's footballing experience is, is individual to them. So for me to then try and constantly compare my experience to those, sometimes I'm very wary that I'm taking the, the not attention, but taking the, the conversation topic or spotlight away from what they're feeling and bringing it more towards me. And I, so I try my best not to do that and try and make it about them as, as much as I possibly can as they're, they're the ones that, that seeking the support. But then it definitely has been beneficial when a player might have turned around and go, did that ever happen to you? And I actually have the ability to say, well, well yeah, it did. And this, mm-hmm. this is what I did. And it's happened a couple of times and it's been really powerful to sort of share those stories with the players. But I try my best to, to utilise my experience and not make my experience the topic of, of the conversation, rather use theirs instead to make sure that they're getting the most out of what we're trying to converse about yeah brilliant really interesting that but do you want to add anything there or yeah just probably the power of like relatability it's something that's probably key to to my practice and most people's i think but like you say you want it to be player led you don't want to be that guy that's like oh back i remember back in my day and this happened and that happened like no one's really interested in that, but when there are those moments of, is this something you've experienced that, and you say, yeah, well, this happened to me, it just normalises their experience a bit and helps them to feel more comfortable and in our line of work. That's so important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's that, yeah, being able to like sympathise with them and and letting them and like relating to them, but also not doing it to the extent where you're just actually belittling what they're going through. I think is that's what I'm hearing there a little bit. Um, but yeah, really interesting. And uh, before we start moving on and getting really um, specific into certain areas and 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 your role in in general, Tom, I just wanted to touch upon your your journey to to becoming the you know women's performance psychologist and player care coordinator. I know you said don't worry about that, but I think it's important to mention that you're doing both because I think it's an incredible achievement and. Just thought it'd be worth because we do have some like trainee psychologists that are listening to the show and, and also just for young footballers to understand the sort of journey that you took to getting your position. So um, I think, was it at u- university? Did you get an apprenticeship uh, at a club and then it sort of went from there, if I'm correct, if my memory is correct? Yeah, yeah. I've done, I've done a couple of internships. One in my third year was part of my undergraduate degree and then one in my master's degree year as well. And then from that, I got offered a uh, just to come back for a couple of evenings a week whilst doing like a, a normal day job, office job ju- during the day. Um, and then delivering some psychology workshops and some one-to-one support at 
the club that I was working at whilst I was doing the, the internship. And then it come about that a, a move to Birmingham, where I'm from, was was back back on the cards, and I was I was able to then work work for a club in in that area. Um, a lot of the time was spent volunteering to to begin with, which I appreciate is is difficult to do when you're trying to earn a, a, a living and and do things like that. But that was something I enjoyed and something I found myself having to do in order to find myself in the position that, that I am now. So I was working in, in a factory in, in, in the day with, with my uncle and then um, coming to deliver some sports psychology work on, on the evenings as, as a volunteer role to, to begin with. So to be able to be able to change that role into a full time one was something that was really rewarding for myself and thankful to, to the people that put the trust in me to sort of d- deliver this type of work in, in a full time position. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I think just a great story. I think it's um, it's nice to hear. I think when I when I was speaking to you, um, I think that's like a year over a year ago now, and I was speaking to you about you know developments within my career and understanding what to do. And it's it's nice knowing that you know everyone's not everyone, but a lot of people have been through that same path. You're you're doing like small tiny roles, and it, a lot of it is volunteer. And then you know, but from then it's about just making the most of those opportunities you're getting, and obviously. You've you've done that to to a really really you know high level, which is which is fantastic. Um, yeah, I think we've all been there with the volunteering. Like if you want to work in sport, you need to chat doors and send out emails and say like I'll come in and help you. But thing is, like looking back on it now, I've met so many people who have helped me to get to where I am now through those experiences. So as one of them, it's hard. And I was the same balancing working in a supermarket whilst in the evenings going down to do some sports psychology stuff at a basic level but it's all a learning experience and it does allow you it's a platform to build on for the rest of your career I think yeah 100 um so just sort of moving back towards your role um in your role what are the common areas you see players struggling to cope with Oof. That's that's a big one. I think that question is like, it's 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 correct, but it's really broad. I think yeah. it's, it's so it's so different dependent on like the age of of the player in terms of the the age that they find themselves in within within the club or, or the different clubs that they might be playing for, like sort of their family background, their school, their relationships out, outside of the sport, like all of them things play into the different sort of issues you you, you may you may come across whilst working in this role and some of them will be heavily performance related mm-hmm. and might need a quick fix where you might be able to speak to them for half an hour or 20 minutes and provide them with potentially a technique to try and go and try and repeat that in training and then make things slightly better for their own performance or it may be something that's really personal to them and you're able to spend a significant amount of time getting to know and getting to real better understand sort of the person that's underpinning that athlete that we just see that the face of to, to begin with and I think it's just the varied work in, in between those two things of sometimes players do just want a quick fix and they want they don't necessarily want to come and spend time with you as, as a psychologist, but they think that they might have to to try and solve a problem that, that they've got. So I, I need to be able to sort of drop the ego from a psychologist point of view and I actually think, well, I need to spend hours with them to provide them with the tools that they need if they were coming and uh, want a quick fix and I think that quick fix could be beneficial for them, then that's what I'll provide them with. If if they come to me with, with an issue or a topic that they'd like to speak about and that takes us a number of hours to try and get through, 
I'm also really comfortable to do that and I really enjoy that that part of it of getting to know sort of like everyone says the person behind the athlete but it, it is it is that it is really important to do that because there is a, a range of different people that are mm. occupying an, an, af, an athletic role and it's really important to understand what what makes that person that person whilst also being an athlete in our environment and I think that's something that I've really enjoyed within the role is getting the opportunity to actually do that yeah yeah brilliant I think it's, it's I like the fact that you've touched upon that because we've had um quite a couple of guests now come on uh, I think uh Rory Winters um David Wheeler back in uh, season one uh, I'm sure that there's been others that make reference to it as well but you know discussing how you know there's a real struggle especially as a young player growing up in in actually understanding like you were saying their identity so they like the person behind the athlete a lot of the time they spend so much time focusing on um the footballer that they, they really they forget that they, they are a person they have got like you said social life's going on they've got um you know relationships with with family going on um you know so I'm, I'm glad that that's something you picked up on i'm just wondering without putting you on the spot too much if you know when you have dealt with players in the past that have perhaps been struggling with that side of their you know having a multiple identity when they've become so fixated on becoming a footballer have you had have you had have you got any like sort of mechanisms or coping skills that you've gone away and, and sort of worked with them on developing in order to sort of uh try and improve their I guess multiple identity I, th- I think it's it's important as, as a starting point to find out or in my opinion to find out how they may have got got to their so their their journey in football what their relationship with football has been like throughout their life and what what other things they they may have done both mm. both as an athlete and and outside of the game and I think from there, it's really I, I find it really beneficial to ask them what's really important to, to them at that moment in time. And obviously football will be a huge, huge part of that. But you'd like to think that hopefully there'll be a, a minimum of a couple of other things that, that will come up. So like family, for example, and friends and, and spending time with these two two different groups of people is usually a typical thing that, that will come up. And then for me, it's just a number of really simple questions about, well, why have those things stopped because football has 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 taken over and become really important and that's that's not an issue in my opinion at all that football is really important to them and they take it extremely seriously but it's just having that appreciation that there's other things that need to go on around it and trying to frame it in a way that these things will also potentially support their football performance and that's 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 how i found a buy-in to begin with is actually it's framing the conversation around we will be able to develop these things outside of football which actually in turn will will support it and hopefully then towards the end of the conversation the athlete sees that yeah it's going to benefit benefit my football performance but ultimately it's going to potentially make me slightly happier whilst Mm. being in attendance at football but being happier in general with the range of different things that I'm able to go and explore and do and build relationships with that that could be education that could be family that could be friends that could be exploring a different career path because that's that's also a, a, an, an example that that's that I think is important to note that some players may feel that they want to do that and that is not an issue in, in my experience what whatsoever and helping people with that has been quite rewarding for me. Yeah, brilliant, Brad. I know that you're jotting some points down while uh, while Thomas speaking there. I'll I'll let you uh, get a word in before I start grilling them too much. Yeah, I got a few things. Just 
supporting the players depends on so many different things. Like you mentioned, like school, family, their position in the team, or like how new they are to the club, maybe experience or like psychology in the past, and and then just about how you're willing to support players in whatever way works for them. Like drop the ego is something that resonates a lot. Like I think as psychologists, you can often be quite don't know if snobby is the right word, but it's like, oh, the best way to do this is to like do it over multiple sessions and really make sure we're grasping it completely. But what if the athlete doesn't want multiple sessions? What if the athlete wants you to just be able to come up with something that they can go and put into the pitch in training or put into the pitch in a match? Like, It's important for the psychologist or the wellbeing coach to have plenty of skills and quick fixes in their arsenal as well in case case that's what they want because at the end of the day it's not about us it's about the player and you need to be ready to adapt to that in whatever way they see fit really i think yeah i think the, the way i look at it as well is that i'm the service provider and they're the service user so if if i was if i'm if you if i was working in any other domain and i was a provider of a service i would tailor that service around the user and and what what they wanted so rather than just going, this is my philosophy, I'm going to stick to it at all times, that philosophy philosophy, 100% underpins all of my work. But does that mean that if a player wanted to converse about a particular topic that may be slightly outside of, of my philosophical underpinnings and how I do something, does that mean I'd say no? That, in, in my opinion, definitely not. That means that they're a service user and I'm the service provider and I need to make sure that I provide the correct service for, for, for that particular athlete. And if that's regarding their identity and they want to have a quick catch-up about it just to spark the topic to begin with, that's absolutely fine. If they've thought about it in lots of detail and have a number of questions that they want to come and run through with me to try and just provide a different perspective that they've maybe not thought about it yet, then that's also fine. I'm more than happy to do that. I think it's providing the right surf service of what that individual needs at that particular point. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Um Thank you so much for that, Tom. That was, that was brilliant. And um, just as well, touching upon identity, because you've already mentioned it there, you know, their support providers, their parents, and that a big part of supporting player development can come through parents or, or their guardians. Um, what are some of the ways that parents can support their players? I, th- I think this is an interesting one because whenever I've gone over this topic before, I'm very conscious that I'm not a parent of, of an academy football player. And the last thing that I want to do is tell them how to parent their child because it's just I don't it doesn't sit particularly well with me that because I don't have the experience of doing that and I don't know what it's like to have a child. But I'd always like to think of what what I do think I have a decent understanding of is the psychological components that could potentially make a child's experience in, in a football academy slightly more beneficial. And that that does mean accessing the parents and, and what, what support they, they can provide. And I think for me, it's really important that they just continue to be a parent. Mm. Like, yes, they, they are a parent of a miniature athlete. I think that that's how I've termed the phrase or coined the phrase before, like there is a miniature athlete in your home, but they're also your son or your daughter who wants to be your son or your daughter. And it's great that you can, it's brilliant that they get experiences for life that they can share with their child that could be traveling around the country playing football or even internationally playing football and they get to share that experience with their child. But it's so important that they remain a parent and not 
in my opinion, a, a coach or, or something like that? Are they more in, more than entitled to their opinion around their footballing endeavours? I think absolutely that is the child that they've raised. They are more than entitled to that opinion. But is it always beneficial to give that opinion to your child on, on their, their footballing journey? Sometimes it may be, but I think a, a lot of the time it might be best to leave it to those who are in the position to, who have got the experience of the football academy and give and let them do their job when it's important to, to do so. I think I went round the houses with that one, but I think I know what I was trying to say. I think I hear that. So what, what I'm getting there is, you know, make sure you're being a parent first and foremost, but also like, and of course, you know, put in your, stick in your two pence when you want to add your own input in, but at the same time, know when to take a step back and let the specialists in their field actually, you know, give the advice and, and give that, support and development to the to their young miniature athlete as you sort of said yeah 100 percent. and like that's that's very difficult because i also appreciate that parents give up so much of their time to try and help their child fulfill a dream that, that they may have and then i could very much understand why you become incredibly invested in in that process as well because it's it can be massive for both parent and child so some some i completely appreciate why parents might get caught up in that particular sort of like web of things sometimes but having that ability to potentially step back and think okay what 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 am I doing in, in this scenario here and how that how is that benefiting my child I think having that power of reflection can also be really really good for everyone involved in that relationship as well yeah I've been on the end of being the the psych like delivering the parent support and my supervisor was there and the feedback that he gave to me was stop like justifying what you're saying because I was like thinking oh no I'm not trying to tell you how to like manage your kids obviously just like you said Tom I I would never know but all the stuff I'm offering them is psychological components so it's important that you you justify that and also that you understand that that's what you're doing yourself because I was like, oh no, these parents are going to think like I'm grilling them about like how to manage their kids when it's really not like that at all. So interesting that you've had similar reflections yourself. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And just while we're on this conversation topic, and I know I've sort of steered it towards a bit, a bit of a discussion around identity, and then also um, we're now speaking about what parents can do, can, what parents can do to support their players, but. Another really interesting and sort of current debate, and I think it's one that I've had with you in the past, Tom, or I know it's a workshop that you've done before in the past uh, and something that you disencourage um, for parents to do when they have got young athletes is is around creating social media accounts that target their young person as, as just like an athlete. And it's almost like a promotional um platform that they use to try and get them out there more why as sort of you know psychologists with our psychologist caps on why do we think that's going to be so like detrimental to to young athletes I think from again I'll, I'll start this this answer by saying I appreciate why people may do it um a lot of the time sport can provide opportunities for people to make money that they may have not had before and the world has changed where you can now make money from social media opportunities and there's there's lots of those opportunities around for young people who have gained a significant following whilst demonstrating a sport that they're, they're really good at but a, a lot of the time for me 
I think that Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is can almost take over and that child from whatever age they are, whether they start the Instagram page at six because they've been defined as a young baller or, or what, whatever people may, may call it, what happens when they're no longer a young baller in, in an academy? Do you still keep up that Instagram profile and allow the child to keep posting all these videos or actually usually their parent ran accounts like posting these videos of them doing these great skills but are you going to mention that that they've been released from from the their academy do, do you mention that they've joined different academy like it's it's brilliant to document a journey of of your child but i think documenting all parts of that journey in terms of they go to school this is what they're doing with their friends like I personally would would keep those things private, but I appreciate that that's not for everyone. But I think just showing your child as an athlete can be really dangerous if when they're no longer that athlete, because those conversations can be difficult to have anyway. So imagine then having to have them with 20,000 followers commenting on the Instagram poster. Do you not play for so-and-so anymore? I haven't seen you in this kit in the world. Do you not play for them? Whereas actually it could have been a significantly difficult experience for that child to leave that academy. And now they've got to face answers from another 20,000 people who followed them on a social platform because they play for that team. And I think that's it's really, really difficult to, to manage. And I appreciate that some people might manage that really well. But just for, from my point of view, with, with a psychological hat on and trying to make sure that a player's well-being stays high in a really difficult scenario, I'm not sure having an Instagram profile that's dedicated to their academy journey is is beneficial when that academy journey may come to an end at a point yeah great and i think as well one that you you touched on there but i i personally like to re-highlight as well i think it's so important that you do show them you know doing well at school or going and seeing their friends and having a great time on a birthday and stuff and actually rewarding them because you know posting something on social media praising uh, a young athlete is you know it's going to give them that sense of satisfaction and dopamine so actually making sure you give them that praise for stuff that isn't specifically related to just football as well helps develop that dual identity or the multiple identities that we always speak about which is so important for people to actually make sure that they develop and it, it it translates across to you know all things like being able to deal with with pressure when it comes to playing foot you know or in our case when it comes to playing football or if they're having a drop in performance you know it, it makes it so much harder like you said to be able to actually deal with the uh the weight of what that's going to put onto the shoulders of someone that's trying to make it and then having like the added effect of all these people on social media then asking them questions you know it, it all like adds up so yeah really really interesting discussions and just what yeah i hope you didn't mind me bringing it up there but yeah thanks for your answer it was great anything from you there brad or no just that it's, it's easy for us coming from a psychology perspective to look into that and know that it's considering things like identity and it's adding pressure but the parents don't have the same education that we do in the same way that the kids mm. do as well so um like you say for me it can be a lot i can i think it could be a lot for a kid when that difficult moment comes and you've had like six years of your instagram going but if, i think if it's managed effectively then it, it can it can be done um you know like you are exploring other parts of your kid's identity at that time but i think probably i hope that just generating this conversation for any parents listening allows them to maybe consider that and hopefully if they do run instagrams then they can make effective changes to it and consider everything else that we've spoken about
Yeah, and I think it's really important that parents don't feel like they're not allowed to be really proud of their child, like their child has made a significant achievement, even making it into an academy, if that's what they wanted to do, that loads of young people haven't had the, the luxury of doing. And I think being proud of that is, is not a problem at all. In fact, it's brilliant. I'd, I'd really encourage them to, to be as proud as punch of their child because it's really difficult what, what they've done. But then to only document that would be the slight issue that I have. Mm. If it's like a well-rounded, I think this is a strange term, but like a well-rounded Instagram profile, which shows a range of different things that, that, that the child does and is exploring in their life, and that's great. But when it's solely focused on that athletic journey, just ask yourself the question about what how difficult would this be if that athletic journey was to end yeah fantastic and just because we've started um speaking about it already um sort of dealing with talking about pressure and dealing with pressure there i mean again it's it's me sort of bringing these up um but what are the um moving back towards i guess some of the common areas that that players struggle with how can we possibly help and assist players in, in being able to handle and, and deal with pressure? Oof. Again, that's that's like a that's a big big old question that is. I think for me, the, the benefits that that I've saw is from a psychological point of view is repetition of, of a particular skill. So like repetition of a skill under different pressure constraints in training to then try and replicate those in, in a game. I think it is next to or near impossible to recreate the pressure of, of a game day in training. But can you put a variety of different constraints on training conditions, for example, to try and recreate different elements of pressure to allow players to then replicate that skill in those situations and can create in those different environments and building up a skill base of those different things allow you to then perform when the pressure is actually on because that skills become almost second nature to you regardless of the circumstances that that you find yourself in whilst having that appreciation that pressure can make you do strange things at, at points and that's absolutely fine but it's how you're then able to recover from that to ensure that you know that actually that was a one-off this is the skill that i've repeated and repeated and repeated to become very good at it just give me another chance and I'll, I'll be able to repeat that next time. It's not the, it's really important that that mentality towards that doesn't change because it went wrong once or went wrong twice. For me, it's about your ability to then go and re-perform that skill after getting it wrong that probably shows how you're able to develop that skill under a particular set of pressures. Yeah, brilliant. So it's almost building up the, that, you know, repetition of, of positive cues that allows you to then when there's that one anomaly you can you can like wipe it to the side and, and move on because you know that it's it's a complete anomaly it's not something that's going to happen again um yeah fantastic great answer there i think i think some athletes as well really struggle with telling people or explaining what they're really good at so i think if you were to go through like an individual development plan with an athlete they'd be really comfortable to say Okay, but I need to work on my left foot, like my my physical attributes in the gym. This is what I need to do more of uh, from a nutrition point. This is what I need to get better at. But a lot of the time, they don't necessarily mention what they're really, really good at or what their super strength is, for example. And I think being able to understand what that is and try and make that super strength for them even better allows you then to go, okay, in the biggest of moments, this is the skill that I believe I can replicate at any point. And this is what makes me 
potentially really good in this area compared to everyone else. And I think having a clear understanding of what that is and sort of almost like a miniature plan in place of how you're going to get even better at that will allow you to do that in the biggest moments. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah, I think pressure is also, it's it's just high levels of stress or arousal. And sometimes you can respond really well to that, but in other moments you can respond differently to it. So the way I try and frame it to people sometimes is like, when have you performed at a high level under pressure? What did that feel like? What did you do? And then what can you take from that experience into the one that's maybe causing you to perform under your kind of best ability? So it's just about really framing it in the right way. Like, you know, stress can be useful or it can work against us. Yeah, the the analogy that I've used before is like almost having a backpack of experiences and every time you face something, it then goes into it. And then once you, you may come across that again in a week's time or two years time and you go, oh, actually, I've faced this before and this was, this was the thing that I did that worked me brilliantly or this was the thing that didn't work for me at all in this situation last time. So through that experience, I'm now going to try this in, in the face of the, the challenge that, that I find myself with. And then I think having those supportive people around you in terms of supportive coaches and parents and peers that, that are around you allow you to, to, to get through those, those challenges. And if you don't at that particular point in time, that's fine. You've gained a really great experience that will allow you to sort of hopefully transition through that next time instead. Yeah, great. I like the fact as well, we're tying back to that yeah, the support network and and having the right teammate around you because, you, yeah, you're correct. You can do all the pressure training in the world you want, but if you know that when you make a mistake, you're going to have your players getting on at you, that's just going to add to it even more and more. So that's great. I think um, one for our players to take note of is if, you know, if you if your teammate does mess up, it's you know not getting on at them in a negative way, but actually you know try and make make sure you're building them back up again and, and ready to bounce back and um, hit the ground running again. Um, so fantastic little point there at, at the end. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so moving back towards our sort of support network that we we're just talking about there, how can coaches uh, or members of a of a support network help? young players develop their ability to handle pressure i think you've touched on it there already yeah i think it's i think it's providing like the right level of challenge alongside the right level of support so mm. for, for me and, and and the research suggests that if you provide constant challenge with real low levels of support then athletes might face burnout or face like real real negative kind of uh, negative perceptions of, of of a challenge and next time when they then come across that challenge they, they won't be prepared for that if you're then to provide absolutely zero challenge and athletes find it really easy then when they come across challenge again they won't be able to cope with that or they usually aren't able to cope with that due to not having experienced it in the past and I think almost the perfect or, or the best way to describe it is providing that real high levels of challenge and real high levels of support to ensure that actually athletes are being constantly tested or tested in a variety of different ways to try and develop their skills in a certain area. Whilst also understanding that, okay, if they haven't been able to grasp that particular challenge at that point, this is the support we've got in place to ensure that they understand why this is what we're going to do next time. And then they're able to view that challenge as what it actually is a challenge and not necessarily a failure or something that they weren't able to complete. It, it was a challenge that they've gained a lot of experiences from and this time they were successful that's brilliant they've 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 accomplished that challenge or actually they weren't but these are the things they've gained from it and this is what they're going to do next time so I think 
that high challenge and high support and making sure that we we do both is 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 really important because it can be it can be easy to go either way at points whilst trying to get out different scenarios of in training or games so being able to be conscious of finding that that balance to better support players i think is definitely really important yeah sorry i was just scribbling there tony i'll jump in on that that's uh is that a mustafa sarkar number that you've mentioned there tom yeah i believe it is yeah uh, i've seen that model yeah that's a good one um and just when you're speaking it's making me think of growth mindset like do you see this as a challenge um and you want to take it head on or do you see this and think of it oh that's too hard like i'm never going to be able to do that and the coaches obviously have a huge role in the way that you look at it as well like are the coaches willing to support the player through it or are the coaches going to be like oh well he's he's not even he's not even giving it a go whatever i'm not even going to support him through that so yeah interesting this first time i've really thought about that model that you mentioned comparing it to growth mindset which i think we spoke about with the players quite a lot last season tony and then also what that might look like on the pitch as well so just interesting to hear that all tie together yeah it's good i like that and again talk about sort of reframing it i guess um so when they do have these challenges as rather than seeing it as like our I don't want to mess up. It's actually been like, this is a fantastic opportunity and chance for me to learn and, and grow as a player. So, yeah, brilliant there. Um, of course, Tom, you're you're currently working um, in the in a, a women's academy. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, how exciting is it being within women's football at this moment and, and with the game growing so quickly? You know, what what can we expect to see in the, in the future when it comes to the women's game? I think just exa- exactly how you said, like everyone can see that, that it's growing and growing at like a real significant rate, which is which is brilliant for, for everyone involved and the athletes are getting the recognition that, that they deserve for a level that they've been operating at for, for a while with sort of maybe not much attention. So the fact that the attention is all on them now with the Lionesses doing the brilliant work that they've doing in terms of the Euros and then, then the World Cup as well, it just puts it on, on a platform for everyone to see. And then to be sort of working on the ground within it with young players who are able to really idolise people at, at, at the top levels again of the game that they get access to on, on TV and in uh, video games and, and stuff like that. I sound really old saying video games. I meant FIFA. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the fact the, the bit that's really special for me is seeing like young girls turn up in whatever kits they're wearing, like Lionesses kits, and they've got, first of all, a specific female kit. And secondly, like a female name on the back. Like I was friends with loads of girls growing up who would have Gerard, Lampard, all them different players on, on the back of their shirt. And that was sound. Like they absolutely loved them players. That that was brilliant. But the fact that young girls now are able to have a female on the back of their shirt who they can idolise and they can really base some similarities with, that's that's really important for me. And that's that's what I think is just that's just really it's just really enjoyable as a person to see wherever it, you're working in women's football or not that's just nice to see yeah brilliant i think it's like yeah like you say it's fantastic they're now getting to put their own role models on the back that are, are going to be women in football it's yeah an absolute game changer i think have you noticed as well when it comes to having you know their own role models within women's football that they that there are more um, young girls coming to the academy with with an idea of what role they want to play because one of their role models is is in that position. I, th- I think it's when 
when people go to any form of football academy, they just go to play, don't they? Like initially they go because their hobby is really fun. Like they, they have become good at a particular sport. But the only reason they started that sport is because they think it would provide some form of fun and entertainment for them. And then like usually they see their role models on TV and things like that. And I think like the, the young girls seeing women on, on their TV and delivering at the top level of their sport inspires them to come in and go, OK, my favourite players, so and so from this league. And and it's it's a female. It's not it's it's not a male or for some of them, it really is. They still have a male role model, but they go, by the way, I also really like so and so who plays for this team and that team. And I think that's that's been really important and really just good to see the development of a, a range of different role models that come through come through the door rather than just Ronaldo and Messi, who are some of the best ones you can have. And it's brilliant that players reference them, but it's just having a range of different, both male and females that players can have access to on the TV is, is brilliant for everyone. I think it's so important for young girls that are starting to play football at grassroots level that they feel they're represented. So now they can actually pick out a role model. And when you have that representation at a young age, that's going to want you to, that's going to inspire you to try and replicate them and follow in their footsteps. And, and now young girls will even have role models slightly, maybe just slightly older than them in that sort of young academy setup. Whereas before, there's like no grassroots um, or you'd struggle to even get access to a training session because there's maybe, I was listening to a podcast recently, it was like there's only 40 regional performance centres for girls in the country but the some of them are like three hour drives away and you're experiencing loads of barriers to that like how much do my parents want to drive me about like how much money do I have so it's important that the grassroots level is developing as well and that builds up to more and more opportunities and I think that a big part of that was the Lionesses um I've certainly I'll back them but not the men's team so that's, that's fine <laughs> Fair enough, Brad. Fair enough. We'll take that. Um, I was starting to sort of move towards the end of this episode. We're going to ask you the, the final two questions, which is what we ask all our guests. Um, but the first one is What three ways do you look after your well being? Oh, um, think connection with like family and friends and like relationships and things like those, uh, things like that is really important for me it sounds really normal and really trivial but like you can underappreciate those things whilst you're working in, in a job in football that the role that they play is, is really big like you come home and they listen to you and do all that sort of stuff when you might have had a 12-hour day for example where you've had to have a range of different conversations you come home and then they, they appreciate that and they're able to provide like a support network for you away from your job which i think is really important I think I, I really enjoy going to the gym and things like that, like keeping on top of my physical health and that sort of stuff, because it allows me to come into work often with like a fresh, fresh mind, red, red, ready to go, which is re really important for me. And then just it sounds it sounds stupid, but football, I just absolutely love watching football still. You can I can do it all day, every day, but sometimes I find it really enjoyable to sit on a Sunday and listen to Neville and Carragher and see what they've got to say about the uh, the, the week's events and stuff like that so yeah switching off and, and connecting doing the gym and then also just still having the love for the hobby of football as well whilst also appreciating the work that goes on yeah brilliant I think when you said connect there I thought you're about to rattle off the five ways to well-being um but yeah no that's fantastic I think 
myself and Ragnar so relate to that just sitting down on a Sunday sometimes especially when you're being busy and just watching the footy they, not, nothing can top it sometimes don't know about you Brad I think it's probably worth noting that your well-being does heavily depend on how your team is doing and for me my team recently have been an absolute nightmare to watch so <laughs> that is definitely not helping better performance last night mind you but season's not looking as bright as it did in the pre-season so Worth, worth just getting a dig in there, I think. Yeah, that probably is worth mentioning. It probably is dependent on your team's form, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, the final final question then, and obviously you've been giving great advice throughout, but any advice for young players um, or academy players? Oof. Um, what would I say? You know what, I think... So many people join an academy with the goal of, I want to be a professional footballer, I want to be a professional footballer. And they work so hard to to try and achieve that dream. And I think sometimes there's the enjoyment and the experience side of it may go missing at, at different points. And I would just say to try keep the enjoyment and just be present and take it all in. Like, don't don't overlook the experiences that, that you're gaining that, that you're gaining at this current time. And if that leads to professional status, that's brilliant. Congratulations on all your hard work. Like it's it's finally paid off. But if it doesn't, you want what you I'd love for all academy players to be able to look back and go, yeah, but what an experience I had. I went to this country to play against these teams and these tournaments and I loved every minute of it when when I was there. And there was actually some real difficult parts in it too. Like bits that at the time I thought I didn't enjoy that. But actually, overall, when I look back, it I had such great experiences because I was able to just take it all in and really appreciate where I was. And I think that's that's probably my message is be, be present in, in where you are and try to soak as much in as you possibly can whilst working extremely hard and also enjoying it as much as you possibly can to taking on sort of all the different challenges and being ready to ready to take the skills that you've learned into different elements of your life, whether that being football in the future or whether that be in a completely different career path. But yeah, just just enjoy it and take it all in. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. That's on. And uh, just as we look to sort of close things off, is there anything you wanted to just in general to sort of cover on your half? Is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share with the listeners? Or um, is there anything they can, Is what's the best, you know, so, I mean, we've spoken about the dangers of social media, but is, is there any, you know, is there anywhere on social media that they can, they can catch on if they want to find out more? Uh, there's 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 my LinkedIn that that people can look at. Um, I won't lie, I'm not active really on any of those things. So like, I don't write anything on there. I usually I use a Twitter account to look for research papers or or new research papers that that are coming out. So I'm a very boring social media person. Like I don't I don't put anything up there. But those things are there if if people wanted to find them. But you won't unfortunately see much. I don't think. Uh, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on. And um, as I said, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I knew it was me another great episode, but um, yeah, can't thank you enough for coming on. And Brad, you've got anything else you want to add in before we wrap it all up? No, I just I hope people listening got some good insight because for me, I learned a lot about the best ways to support parents, um, dealing with pressure as well. And I, I like the conversation around the high challenge, high support things. It's all stuff that I'll look to implicate into my own practice so as always these are a healthy form of CPD for us I think Tony for us CPAR candidates so cheers for that Tom yeah 100% thank you very much and thank you everyone everyone for listening cheers everyone